For my ally is the Force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Don't know the power of the dark side. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. I got a bad feeling about this. Welcome to episode 255 of Blue Harvest. I'm your host, Halt Burkhart. And I'm your host, Will Witten. And we're back. Took a little uh, breaky break. Um, I don't know, man. I was, you know, texting with you about it, and I just felt like with everything going on in the world last week, and, well, especially our neck of the world, um, and... You know some stuff going on here at the the house like i just figured it would it was a good week to take off and let people maybe pay attention to some stuff way more important than two dudes right. sitting around talking about star wars right right we'll leave the airways free for some yeah. really important stuff and not that there's still not important things to uh to intake but we're back this week um and we're going to be talking about uh, some Star Wars stuff. We got the premiere of Jedi Temple Challenges, um, or Challenge, Jedi Temple Challenge. I will probably either get that last word wrong or right about mm, 200 times, whether it's Challenge or Challenges. Um, and we'll catch up on our Disney Gallery, the Mandalorian discussions. And uh, yeah, there's not a whole whole lot that's gone on in the past two weeks, so... Um, before we jump into that, I got a couple of pieces of extra business this week. Extra business? Yeah, and I, I figure these two will just, so business isn't fucking five minutes long or whatever. You guys know, Patreon, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. The two important pieces are our buddies over at the Kessel Run Transmissions um, on YouTube are hosting a charity stream on Saturday where they're going to be doing lots of um, auctions, like auctioning off uh, different Star Wars merchandise, including some really kick-ass custom figures. In fact, if you go back and listen to the episode we did with our buddy Corey a couple weeks back, he mentioned, I brought up those customs he's been showing off. Um, so he's auctioning off some of those, some autographs, and plenty of stuff that they haven't even revealed yet. But okay. if you're interested, 
Uh, it's going to be taking place June 13th. That's this Saturday from 12 to 4.30 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to be on there at some point. They're bringing in a bunch of, like, cycling in a bunch of different guests. So uh, tune in and donate or, you know, bid on some of the auctions. All the proceeds are going to benefit different GoFundMe accounts and things that have sprung up in the light uh, in uh, light of all the protests and stuff this week. Um, all benefiting like Black Lives Matter um, charities and GoFundMe's and stuff. So it's for a good cause. Come on by. See what's going on. Maybe get yourself something cool uh, Star Wars related and do some good. Uh, and secondly, uh, the dudes over at the Sith list were nice enough to have me on their 200th episode. Hey, so congrats to those dudes. And if you haven't heard it yet, or you don't listen to the Sith list, haven't started listening to the Sith list, you should check them out. It's a great podcast. I got to say that evening was like being in the fucking slipknot of podcasts, Will Witten, because there were as many people on that podcast as there are in the band Slipknot. Oh my goodness. Three drummers. What's that all about? All righty. <clears throat> all that's missing was the masks. And it, it really was scary masks. Spooky masks. It's used to have some Slipknot masks and you would terrify our roommates with them. Uh, I got terrified with one of them and by, terrified. by goose. Yeah. I used to have one. Slipknot mask that I got for a Halloween costume. I have a chipped bottom tooth on my um on my tooth. I don't. Where was I going with the whole on my thing? I have a chip on my my jaw on my jaw and my mouth. Um, <laughs> I have a chipped tooth, like right dead in the center. It's one of my front bottom teeth from a Slipknot concert here in Birmingham before I lived here. I uh. I went, you, did you ever go to a, a show or anything at Sloss Furnace? I never made it to Sloss. I always wanted to. But the, we, I just never went to a show there. Yeah, I've been to a few shows there. It's been forever since I've been to one there. I've been um, to almost every other venue in Birmingham. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, Sloss is this pretty famous, Is it's an iron, it used to be an iron mill. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, used to, yeah. Iron furnace, iron mill, iron in, works in downtown Birmingham. That's been shut down for Long decades time. and decades. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's sort of like uh, a historical landmark where you can go do tours and stuff. They have a huge, crazy haunted house there that runs for the entire month of uh, October that I went to one time. Um, not the easiest to get around. Uh, if you're handicapped, that's why I haven't been back. Um, but anyway, they, they do live shows there. Right. And I've seen like, I saw Tenacious D there. Um, our buddy stoned Cobra played there at least once. And I went, uh, a few other shows back kill switch and gauge. I saw there, you know, back in my newer new metal days, new metal. So I went to see Slipknot, right? This was right when their second album came out, which is my favorite. And this is my freshman year in college. This is getting good. And I decide, <clears throat> all right, I want to go see Slipknot. Um, I'm not going to use my wheelchair. I'm going to go on my crutches because I want to get up close if I can. Yeah. Whew, that was a mistake, right? So 
I don't even make it to Slipknot. There's this band that opens called Chimera. I wonder if they're still around. That's a that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Uh, and they do this thing called the Wall of Death, where the lead singer tells the crowd to split into oh. two and then run yeah. at each other. And he calls for that, and I'm on forearm crutches in the middle of the crowd, and immediate panic sets in. No, God. So I look to my closest wall to the left, and I go, okay. I just got to get through the crowd and get up against the wall and I'll just hang out there and let these, uh, let these crazies do whatever they want. So I start moving, right? Yeah. And I'm moving through people and people are being cool. They're like, yeah, this dude needs to get out of the way. How about this dude not being the wall of death? And then boom, he says go and I get hit by a wall of people running the opposite direction of me. Oh my God. And I stay on my feet. I managed to stay up for about 15 to 20 seconds, right? And I get swept up. I turn and face the other way just in time to see a dude level me with a fight night round three haymaker punch to the face. He hit you in the face. Yeah, just wild. I don't know that to this day. I don't know that it was on purpose or if he was just wildly swinging mosh pit style. You know what I mean? He just caught up in the wall of death and just yeah. spinning fists. Yeah, lunchboxes. So I don't know if I went out. I may have. It's hard to remember. <laughs> but the next thing I know, I'm on my back looking up, and there's just people swirling all around me. And this dude, who no shit was like a Marvel superhero. This is what this dude looked like. All I see is him throwing people out of the way, grabbing people by their collar and pulling them off. He picks me up and puts me over his shoulder and carries me out the back of the crowd. And, you know, this was, like I said, sophomore year in college. I'm not a small dude at this point right he sets me down by like the uh concession stands and stuff in the back and he's like i'm gonna go back are you okay uh, i'm gonna go see if i can find your crutches because by the way my crutches are gone my, God. my glasses because i wore glasses at the time gone <laughs> and my lip ring which i had at the time because why not oh had been pushed sophomore year in college pushed up into my teeth and had chipped one of my teeth oh my god yeah and then <clears throat> I'm there with two friends, my roommate in college at the time and another friend who do not know this has happened. And the whole show wraps up and they come back, like they're looking for me and they find me sitting by the concession stand and they're like, did you lose your crutches? And I'm like, yeah. And they go, they got passed over the top to the security guards. I think they have them because I'm sitting here trying to w- figure out how am I getting out of this place? Right. I right. don't have my my means of transportation now. And sure enough, they talk to the security guards, and one of them comes back laughing, and he was like, "Bet you don't ever do that again." Oh, hands me my crutches back. Up. So at least I got those back. Glasses, of course, never found. They they were sacrificed to the metal gods. I guess that's. The sacrifice you have to make sometimes. 
That was the last, understandably so, that was the last time I ever did the uh, the actual on the floor, on my crutches crowd thing. That was, uh, yeah, right? that was it for me. Because so. I used to do that fairly often for concerts for a few years there. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> it can but, be fun. Know. It can be fun. Um, anyways, too old for that shit now. Right. <clears throat> so, um, today we're actually recording a little earlier than usual this week, um, which I think works out all right because I can post the episode a little earlier and get the uh, news out about the stream over at Castle Run Transmissions on YouTube. Um, so I can get that information out there for everybody. Um. But today, Jedi Temple Challenge. Yes. Is it singular? Jedi Temple Challenge. Or is it Jedi Temple Challenges? I think it's Jedi Temple Challenge. Okay. I think. I'm going to double check so I don't... Just so we don't look like idiots. Yeah, it's Jedi Temple Challenge. That's a thing that goes on here in the South a little bit where people pluralize things that shouldn't be pluralized. Yeah. I'm going to go to Walmarts. I'm going to go to Home Depots. I'm going to go to Lowe's. Look up under here. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, that premiered today. Hosted by buddy Ahmed Best. Nice to see him back in the Star Wars universe doing some work. What do you think? Of the first couple of... Did you watch both uh, episodes? I didn't watch both. Up? I just watched okay. the, the first one. Okay. Um, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I, it was honestly more complicated and more involved than I was honestly expecting. I guess because I was just expecting a 90s, you know, kids trivia game show. Yeah, that's um, what I was kind of surprised about too. It's more about the physical challenges and like the set pieces than it is there's the, the trivia segment i guess i just assumed it was going to be more star wars trivia based you know yeah, what i mean um, i didn't really hear a lot of star wars trivia no which all. is totally fine i i ended up really liking the final product um but yet i was pretty impressed by like the production value of it what was interesting to me was the reading comprehension test uh, where like they were told the story and then like were quizzed on information about the story. Right. That was that. Was, I mean, a, a ideal for a Jedi task, but I, I, it was odd or interesting. It was you know I had, hadn't really seen that before. Well, what they I like that they spiced it up with some like sort of rudimentary, simple animation to illustrate the story as it was being told. Right. Um, I thought that was a nice touch to yeah. you know sort of like up it and, and keep you a little more engaged um but yeah i i don't know man i don't know what i really expected <coughs> but the sets and stuff like i was fairly impressed with um oh, yeah the female droid is kind of corny but i like her a lot so uh, the costume i like the design and stuff and you can tell that it's definitely uh I'm not trying to disparage it, but it's built a little more cheaply than your typical Star Wars droid costume in a movie or something. And I imagine it's because, you know, it needs to be a little more durable and, you know, yeah, they can be worn a little more easily and stuff. Um, right. 
I couldn't believe they did a. It's the first episode, I believe, where the droid makes a like a fart joke, basically. I think so. Where the the door closes behind her, and the like, you know, the steam or the gas goes, and she's like, uh, "The last time that wasn't me, but this time it totally was," or whatever. Right. I was like, "Oh, a fart joke, man!" George Lucas, get in here and punch up the script a little bit. It's a little, it's real punchy. <laughs> um, I'll tell you this: if that show was a thing when I was a kid that would have been my life's ambition would have been to get on that show. I can only imagine like, and that's kind of what I was thinking too. I was like, you know, if me and Hawes were buddies, you know, at like 10, 12 years old, like we would be on that show together. Oh, swing a rope across, grabbing lightsaber pieces. Yeah. I would have been that kid. Did you see the kid that kept, uh, face diving into the rock? He did it like twice. Like the chubby kid trying to swing on the rope, what are you talking about? Yeah, that would have been me. Then you would have been like, that would have been me too, dude. Get your shit together, Halls. We gotta get our lightsaber parts. Um Yeah. You I, could tell that little kid when he picked up the pack, he was like, Damn, this is heavy. Mm-hmm. Um What'd you think about sort of like I like and think that it's an interesting concept that there's minimal but a storyline that sort of goes on where they they go to this training planet then their next trial is on the ship itself and then the final is at the jedi temple i thought that was a nice touch i like that i like that too it's Um, more than i even needed to be honest but i i like that yeah for sure um i don't know are there like kids game shows anymore like they used to be when we were kids like i don't Watch if there lot. is, I'm just not aware of them. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Is like, I remember Double <clears throat> Dare and Family Double Dare and Legends of the Hidden Temple. Guts, guts. I wanted to go on Guts so bad. Um, who is the 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 like sports commentator that did Guts? Oh, I can't. Mike O'Malley. Mike O'Malley. Yeah, he was, was that a, his name. He was a dad on Glee. Ah. Mike O'Malley. That's right. Um. Yeah, I I was fairly impressed with it. Now, is this going to be a show that, like, every Wednesday I'm like, oh, man, new Jedi Temple challenges? No, but I do see myself sort of catching up with it here and there, you know? Um, the, the Jedi Temple part itself, the last trial, I thought was pretty neat. Even the, the part where they get tempted by the dark side. Yeah, I want to see someone take it. I feel like nobody's going to do it. In the second episode, they do. That'd be cool. They straight up do in the second episode. One of the kids is like, as soon as they go in the room, right? The thing lights up and it's like, would you like to use the dark side? And one of the kids goes, I think we should use the dark side. (laughs) (laughs) And then like they try to do that, that triangle puzzle or whatever. And they can't yeah. get it. And this kid keeps going, I think we should use the dark side. <laughs> and then eventually goes over there and hits the thing. So oh, it's an interesting, funny. like, you know, he tells him, you, well, you could use the dark side to get through this puzzle, but it may make a, a later section harder. And so the next section where there's like the power cables hanging from the ceiling, that they have to reconnect. Uh, yeah. That's done in the dark. 
they shut the lights off because they use the oh. dark side. So that's how they make it more difficult. I can only imagine. <clears throat> but yeah, I, you know, I dug it. I like seeing Ahmed best. He's real stoked. Doing a really good job. Yeah, he's real stoked about it and real proud of it. And like he's even got some like backstory elements for his uh, Jedi character, Kelleran Beck, I believe is the name. Um, so it's it's cool, man. It's cool to see him excited to be working in Star Wars again. That's what I'm talking about. So doing a really great job. You know what I'm saying? Like he's kicking ass. Yeah, man. <clears throat> so um what else? Oh, Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. So we didn't cover uh the last at, at this point we're two episodes behind talking about the show because we took last week off. But I don't think we got to be super structured. You know, I don't think we got to talk about the first one and the second one. We can just sort of. No, we can. Yeah. Um, once again, really impressed with this show. Like, this is the kind Agreed. of shit I like. If if you like DVD extras, like, were you a big DVD extras guy when DVD oh, first Oh, my hit? family was huge. When you went to my dad, my dad and Jeff, like, we would watch. The movie, and then we would watch the extras DVD, like all the deleted scenes, the extras, the documentary stuff. Ah, that my scene. dad would be like, "Uh, I'm fucking tired of extras." Like, oh really? Yeah. So it was a Jeff thing. He was the extras yeah. guy. Nice. Yep, yep, yep. Way to go, Jeff! I fucking love some extras. I am He's I, the reason I saw that George Lucas documentary. You know, you know the one I'm talking about. The the Empire of Dreams? Yeah, yeah, yeah that one. <clears throat> uh, so, like, that was always one of the appeals. Like, you know, the I guess the big appeal of DVD back in the day was it was better quality. Like, that was what got most people in. But, like, I was playing my PlayStation and shit on my TV in my room at my parents' house, which was like a little shitty 19, 20-inch TV with a built-in VCR. So it's yeah. not like I was going to be getting great quality, you know, picture on my DVDs anyway. It was right. really the extras that drew me in. Like, you know, like you were saying, deleted scenes, uh, commentaries. Commentaries were my jam for a while, especially like the Kevin Smith commentaries. Because yeah. they were pretty weird. <clears throat> um, But yeah, those. But yeah, and it's. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's not I don't know I feel like the they definitely sort of honed down what extras are nowadays to where like you know maybe some deleted scenes maybe a commentary if you're lucky and a behind the scenes thing you know yeah I don't think they're as into the extras as they once were mm -mm. I don't feel like mm -mm. I mean I'm sure Sometimes you could get like three hours worth of extra content to the, you know, hour and a half, two hour movie. Dude, have you ever watched the extras on those, uh, the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings movies? Uh, yes, they There's are forever long. 12 hours or some shit of extras. It's insane. Yes. Um, yeah, I think part of the reason is because they've realized 
you know, they spend a lot of money producing these extras and stuff, and it doesn't necessarily translate into more sales all of the time. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think it'll be, you know, sparse from now on, not necessarily sparse. Cause things like star Wars still does a pretty good job with them. Um, and things like that. The Marvel movies seem to do an all right job with them. So I think there will still be these, the, the, you know, desire for those in some form, but it'll be your bigger, like more impassioned fan base properties that carry that tradition on. <clears throat> um, anyways, uh, all of that was to say, I'm really enjoying this, uh, making of the Mandalorian stuff. I it's thought incredible. Yeah. The uh, the most recent episode where they sort of went through the technical details of all the pre <clears throat> pre visualization stuff they did, right? I thought was real fascinating. Now, okay, so that upped the ante for me on what they were doing. I guess I didn't really understand precisely what they were doing uh, and how innovative and revolutionary it was until this episode when I finally realized that they were rendering three D, you know, three dimensional models and like virtual shooting things in virtual reality and then making pre visualizations of what they wanted the shots to look like, you know, basically, you know, like a shot for shot remake of what you want to see, you know, and fight scenes and everything like that's crazy. You're, you're basically shooting the show before you shoot the show. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, like it's we, we talked about it i guess last episode when we were talking about the whole use of the volume in this um in this show and how like i like that because it reminded me of back in the day when george lucas would seemingly try to constantly push the bar forward like with technology that he was doing like i I could be wrong about this, but I think like episode two was the first movie completely shot on digital. So like, which is super common nowadays. It's now it's more likely to be shot on digital instead of film. <coughs> um, but uh, yeah, that previs stuff. What I thought was interesting is you know, speaking of extras again you'll sometimes come across like animatics and storyboard like animated storyboards for movies and stuff that they've put together, uh, right. especially when they're working on like big special effects sequences. And even the quality of the animatics on this show were higher quality than I'm used to seeing. Yeah. It, like yeah. to the point where it almost looked like, I don't know, a PlayStation two cutscene. Yeah, you, it's not something you like would you put on TV. You can tell it wasn't polished. No, but it was some basic, you know, you know, CG. Yeah, man, I I just thought that shit was real cool. And did you catch the little like wink, wink, nudge, nudge about season two in that episode? Um, oh yeah, where the Rick, director of the Rick, Fami Yuma, yeah. starts talking about how they're. You know, yeah, they're basically taking that process and expanding on it even more in season two. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was cool. Plus, it it uh, 
sort of confirms that he's coming back as a director in season two, which I think is great because both of his episodes in season one, the the episode with the Jawas and the prison ship episode are really good. They are. They really are. <clears throat> so I think that's uh, definitely awesome to hear. Uh, what do you think about the more practical effects episode? I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved seeing the uh, the actor and the mashup of Nick Nolte and the the Queel yeah character and how that came about. No, that's really awesome. Uh, um, the guy that did the monkey lizard coming back to do one to get spit roasted. Yeah, see, that's. I think my favorite part of that episode is it comes towards the end when Dave Filoni is talking about like part of the reason he wanted to work at Lucasfilm is that there's this like inner company history that people are really sort of reverent of, you know, sort of the process and the, the art behind making these movies. And he wanted to be part of that. And the fact that, yeah, they brought the, the puppeteer and sculptor who made salacious crumb back to make uh, a couple of them for the show, I thought was pretty cool. Um, I also thought, uh, I mean, we can't talk about this episode without mention Werner Herzog talking about uh, the baby. Yeah, and directing is, the baby. Yeah, he is so delighted. Like, he calls it heartbreakingly beautiful or something like that. Like, yeah. just hear him talking about... Um, He's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah and you know that story which i think we'd kind of talked about before like they had kind of gotten out there about him them going to take the puppet out of the shot to do like yeah. a plate shot and he was like yeah. sort of berating you're, them telling them that they were cowards being cowards trust the puppet and and it turns out they he was right because right they mostly used the puppet and even john favreau like sort of says even when they use a CGI model of Baby Yoda. They limit it to what the puppet can do. I think that's really smart. I yeah. I think that's smart to do. Yeah, because it just makes it seem consistent and shit. Yeah, um, it makes it seem... It, it, there are no elements where you're like, oh, like he can move really well in that scene, and then he kind of hobbles around the rest of the time. Oh, man. They showed off a couple of uh, alien designs that I guess I just didn't see or pick up on, on yeah, when I watched the show. Awesome. Yeah, there's one that's like, uh, I guess he's in the cantina um, that looks like a, I don't know, a, a humanoid salamander or a bipedal salamander or gecko or something. That yeah. one was cool. There was another big one that was like had four eyes and stuff. I have to when I rewatch it the next time, keep an eye out for some more of those background alien types because there's not a lot of opportunity for them, you know. Right. <clears throat> Throughout the show, so I really want to check them out. Like I, it's weird because, like I said, having watched, I don't know, all the episodes like three times now. There's a few that stick out. There's that one bounty hunter droid not ig but the other one that kind of looks like um i don't know a cross between the death star droid and forlom or something yeah 
and then there is um, that one Rodian that's got sort of the orange and yellow skin that I'm almost 100% convinced is a reused costume from Solo because there's a Rodian with that same color scheme in Solo that's part of Enthus Nest's uh, Cloud Riders. Cloud Raiders? Okay. But those always were the two that sort of stuck out to me the most. So seeing some of the other ones was was pretty cool. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Is there anything else that really jumped out at you from those two episodes? Uh, I guess just as Bryce Dallas Howard's excitement of how they were using the previous stuff and its heritage from like the Jungle Book and Lion King. You know, like uh, it's just crazy. It's it seems like. You know, you can make your way to being a director through virtual reality, you know, like through gaming programming, if that makes sense. Yeah, because the whole volume thing runs off of a game engine. He calls right. it, I would be very interested to know, like, so he keeps referring to it as game engine technology, right? right. And we run it through a game engine. Now, that makes me wonder, is it a like a propri- proprietary version of a game engine that they've put together or are they using like you know i'm not super familiar with game engines but i know some of them like the big ones are like you know the unreal engine or the unreal Unity, engine or, yeah. or uh frostbite is the one ea uses right like right so i wonder if they're using one of those i mean it's vr right it would have to be something well so the vr stuff i think is separate from the volume stuff Oh, okay. Well, my bad. You're granted, right. I see what you're saying. Granted, this stuff is very technical, and I'm not trying to sit here and like pretend I understand it completely. Like I was a little lost in that that's that uh, sort of virtual reality pre-visualization episode. You know, at a couple points, I was like, All Oh, right, really? I'm just gonna take you guys' word for this. But yeah, I um. I'm really enjoying the show. I'm wondering what we have left to cover with two more episodes left. Um, Because it kind of seems like they've hit the big stuff, like the cast, um, the directors, the technology. Once, once again, Dave Filoni's animation background coming into play in a big way with this pre-visualization stuff. Big time. Yeah, I think this was sort of, in some ways, like the dream transition job from someone who had worked solely in animation before moving into live action, right? Like, it seemed right. like the perfect way for him to transition over to that. He's helping with the narration of imagery and the story uh, with his background in animation before anything's ever shot. You know, like... Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm interested in his point of view because he will have created something. You know, he basically create helped create, I, I'm not saying he did it, you know, like, but he helped create something before it was even materialized. So that's gotta be weird being on set, materializing what you created and giving your input on how you think it should go. <laughs> yeah. And I also really like how clearly early on in the process, Dave Filoni was uh, involved because he was doing sketches of like 
Baby Yoda and the Mando together real early on. Okay, right. so uh, episode seven, which comes out in a couple of days now, is about the score. That makes a ton of sense. And then the last one's called Connections, which is an interesting title. That could be something pretty cool. Um, okay, it says... Uh, John and Dave take a look back at some of the Star Wars characters and props that made their way into the Mandalorian and also take a moment to showcase the 501st Legion. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I knew they used some uh, 501st folks in the show. Specifically, I think in the episode where Moff Gideon shows up with all like the shiny-looking stormtroopers that aren't all beat up and shit. Right. One of the things that stuck out to me in the practical episode was um the the use of World War II era guns and that were retooled to look like kind of the inspiration for the props on the on the original trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. They I mean that's, that was epic. That's famously what they did for the guns in the original trilogy. So f- the fact that they just carried that design process over to the weapons and stuff and the Mandalorian, I think, was right on the money. And that's sort of that thing that Dave Filoni was talking about. Like, there's such a well-known sort of history behind the process of how these Star Wars movies get got made. You know, down to, they bring it up in one of these episodes, George using um, old World War II footage in movies to right. sort of pre-visualize the attack on the Death Star, right? And, uh, like the fact that these stories are so well known and are so like well known within the company, like when they, when they take that as inspiration, I think they do some really cool stuff. Like, you know, building a whole motion camera system for some miniature shots of the, uh, razor crest. Awesome. You know? Yes. Um, Right. Really cool. And I loved John Favreau's quote where he was like, uh, I learned from Guillermo del Toro that if you create a miniature or a prop, you get to keep it in your house. And I was like, And then the guy sitting there is like, See, I told you that's why we made that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was like, Yeah, man. That's exactly how I would think of it, too. All righty. Uh, you want to move on and do some emails and voice messages? Indeed, I do. All right. Well, Let's hear a little song, and then we'll do that. Cockhead, the only Jedi master who can crash box. Cockhead, running around slaying bitches with his cockhead. He's a big Syrian stud. He loves to split chicks with his pud. Cockhead to stroke his cone and suck on his balls. Candy, cockhead, what you gonna do when he comes on you now? He's a Jedi Council stooge, but he'll be pumping spooge tomorrow. Cockhead, Lou Herb, cockhead, Hansberger, cockhead, Will Win, cockhead, Goose Paint, cockhead, G Money, cockhead, King Tom, cockhead. Cockhead! 
Alrighty then. Well, first up, we don't have a voicemail from King of all times, King Tom Chansky. We got an email. Uh, and this is what he had to say. Hey there, Halls and Will. I dug the last episode of Disney Gallery about the real sets and practical effects, particularly the models of the Razor Crest. If you were a bounty hunter, or hell, anyone in the Star Wars galaxy, which ship would you rather own, the Razor Crest or Slave One? The Razor Crest seems more spacious and loaded, but damn, there's just something about the Slave One that gets me. What do you think, your pal, King Tom? Ooh. I honestly haven't seen enough of the inside of the slave one, like the cargo area. Yeah. Right now, I'm prone to the Razor Crest, just because it's got it's got its own uh, gun locker and it's got its own uh, carbonite freezing facility. Yeah, that seems handy too. Um, I like that it's got like it's seemingly got like little cubbies and like yeah, and that sort of chrome finish with the yellow accents is pretty sweet. Right. But it's hard to beat the weirdness of Slave One. Slave One is such a weird spaceship. The way it flies, like standing up and yeah. stuff, and the the way the cockpit operates, it's got it's so unique and it's so neat that that is a tough call. I'm sitting here looking at my like giant lego version of the slave one and thinking like yeah it's pretty sweet <coughs> i know it's well armed yeah it's got like the uh bombs on it you know what i mean yeah the, the seismic charges the seismic charges yeah man it's got some uh it's got some history behind it I'm going to go Slave 1, I guess. It means Boba's ship. Uh, yeah, why not, right? Yeah, why not? All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, we got a voicemail from our buddy Jim. Let's hear what he has to say. Pause and Will. Good evening, gentlemen. My question tonight is uh, kind of a follow-up to last week's with the uh, Kathleen Kennedy giving you 100 mil. Um and I know I heard what you didn't want to make, but I didn't exactly hear what you wanted to make. My idea was uh, I'd call it Monday 1313 because of where he lives in the city, but also he tries his hand at raising, uh, teaching 13 Padawans and taking on 13 mates. Uh, <laughs> so to you know continuous race so it could be pretty good and uh by the end of the movie you know he's got to save them all he's got to save all 26 but um i don't know what do you guys think of that but my follow-up question is that kathleen kennedy was so happy with what you did that she gives you another 100 mil 50 million each for your own man caves so and if you don't spend it towards a man cave it don't you know you don't get it so i want to hear what you guys would do would it be themed uh of course you know you can buy some all the hot toys to fill it out and all that good stuff but uh i want to hear about the shelving <laughs> mm. the lighting what would you guys do with uh you know no limit all right guys ignite the green a 50 million dollar man cave that is fucking man cave 
man. I'd have um, to buy a new house to accommodate my new man cave. Yeah, yeah. I, she, you know, that would have to be understood. But yeah, it, so, you know, Jesse and I, at some point in the future, will be getting a new house, right? And we've sort right. of started looking and just, you know, figuring out the process. And like the, the one thing I've said from the beginning of talking about it is all I want is a finished basement. And the finished basement, that's mine. You do whatever else you want to do with the house, I'm game. But I want a finished basement. So I'll tell you now, obviously, it's not going to be a $50 million finished basement. What if that's where the ghost in the house is? Now, Will, why would you do that? Why would you do that to me, man? Oh, I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So the first order of business in the ultimate man cave, and I'm envisioning this as a fairly large basement if we're talking 50 mil. So we'd have to buy a new house. Um, it's going to have a dedicated podcast studio room, like super soundproof. You know what I mean? Top of the line equipment, super fancy mics monitors ready to go at any moment that would be number one right right a bunch of mics like i use right now <clears throat> maybe some video camera equipment so we could do like video podcasts that would be the first thing um a selected collection of stand-up arcade machines and pinball machines i would have a mini arcade nice so, I'm thinking uh, all the Star Wars pinballs, the nice. Nightmare on Elm Street pinball. Uh, I would have to look. Like, I'm not a pinball expert, but I know I'd want those. Um, Street Fighter 2 II and 3 machine, for sure. Uh, Mortal Kombat 2 machine, for sure. I would want some sort of... Oh, fuck yeah. The six-player... Wasn't there a six-player X-Men arcade? There was. That there beast. There was. That beast. Um, shit, what else? I could def... Oh, Star Wars arcade like, machines. Sounds like Big. Mm -hmm. You ever see the movie Big with mm -hmm. Tom Hanks? That's definitely what it would be. Imagine Big, but like real... No, like no trampolines or bunk beds. Like, no. Um giant badass tv every single game console available to play you know what i mean right uh large video game collection i don't know that i would necessarily go for a complete collection of any one game system but a large video game collection just ready to play at any moment's notice so many video games that people are like you'll never play all these and i'll be like yeah i know um, built-in wall displays lit for hot toys and Star Wars memorabilia. If I'm if I'm fifty mil if if that is the budget, then there is going to be some screen-used props in the mix. Maybe okay. a Obi One saber hilt and a Boba Fett helmet. You know talking top of the line shit here 
one of the clapper boards from Return of the Jedi that said Blue Harvest on it. All over this shit. Toys out the wazoo, bruh. So many toys, they'd be like, damn, that's a lot of toys. Oh, and a bathroom with a Toto Porter washlet. What is that? That is a super fancy Japanese bidet. Oh, well, I want one of those too. Well, your turn. What's your $50 million man cave look like? Oh, it would be (laughs) probably just like a man. Instead of a man cave, it would be, you could call it a pool house, but there would probably be no pool. Like, or there could be a pool. Who cares? There would be like a grilling area outside. Oh, yeah. And then with a giant like swing or like some seating outside and then inside would be like a kitchen with a giant wraparound uh, counter so people could sit at the counter while I cook and talk to me. And like I could make things and put them up on the counter. And uh, there would be, oh man, probably like a pool table and a big, you know, huge couch and a big TV with all the video games I would have like a glass wall of just my video games and like my old my old toys I grew up with just just everything just in the wall and then uh I don't know there would be a big uh like bookshelf area like a reading nook with yeah. a big heavy desk <clears throat> and uh all of my books Okay. And it would be a good napping couch. Oh, like napping couch is best key. napping couch. And there would be a bar area. I would have like a cocktail bar area. Um, okay, so two additions that I want to make to mind that you reminded me of. Giant wall built in saltwater fish tank. Oh wow! Oh wow! I think those are for your shark collection. Not ne- I, you know, not necessarily sharks. Saltwater <laughs> fish tank. I'm just thinking like, like clownfish and zebra no, turkey I fish, get and I get you it. know what I'm saying? Like one of those real fancy fish tanks. Um, I just think fish tanks are neat. Uh, and it reminds me of the 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 guy in Despicable Me with like the shark swimming under his living room or whatever. And then uh, I've never seen any of those movies. Um, the first one's the best. And then another side room off from the man cave. I would hire the people at the zoo to build me the ultimate raccoon environment. So they would have their own little room where they could be comfortable and play and chill out at night or during the day because they're nocturnal. Um, you know, state of the art, everything's perfect for him, but I would have like a pet raccoon and he would live in his little habitat. And, you know, he could come out. I'm not going to keep him in there all the time, but when he needs to go and hang out in his little habitat, boom, there it is. I follow- go trash mouth during the day and then come home at night. I follow this guy on um, YouTube. His account is called Tito the Raccoon. He's got two raccoons, Tito and Cheeto. Oh my goodness. And he spent like five grand converting a room in his house to like basically a a giant raccoon terrarium. 
or something. I don't know what the correct I term is. I think we've is. talked about this guy before. Yeah. Yeah. His raccoons are awesome. Um, so that's where I got the inspiration from that one. Giant ta- raccoon habitat. You find me in there just hanging out with a raccoon. Just chilling, giving it snacks, Scooby snacks. <coughs> Man, uh, you got anything else? Has, has anything else popped into your mind? Oh, Han Solo and Carbonite. Ooh, I would like to have that as like a glass coffee table with like Han Solo and Carbonite as the coffee table and yeah. then a piece of glass over the top of it. I've seen some people do some computer desks and stuff like that, um, sort of using that concept, and they're pretty neat. I just want. Like, you know, Going on the wall. Yeah. Like the nice replicas, man. Whew. Yeah. That would be cool. That shit. That's been for a long time. One of my like bucket list items ever since I think I heard Kevin Smith talk about how he had one in his office. Uh, and I was like, you can do that. That's something you can get as a life-size Han and Carbonite. Yeah. That would definitely be something I did. That'd be cool as shit. All right. Um. <clears throat> All right. Next up, we got an email from Dylan. Hey, guys. This is more of an idea suggestion than a question. I love me some speculating, especially of the cock duty variety. Any mm. chance we could get a cock duty call-in speculating episode? You could... Offer call-in spots via Patreon, maybe? Anyways, keep up the killer work, dudes. Thanks, Dylan. That's not a bad idea. It's actually not. We could definitely do something like that at some time. Um, I wonder how it would work. Like, maybe... I don't know. I would have to think of how to sort of organize it and stuff. I mean, it'd be easy enough to get a hold of people, like, on Skype or whatever. Um, but just to like sort of schedule it out and figure out when people, um, like what their time slot would be and things like that. I think we could figure it out though. Just take some planning. I think so too. All right. Next up, we got an email from Utah, Utah, Uh, Dougie, Dougie. Uh, he says, complete the sentence. Boba Fett says, I'll give you the baby back if dot, dot, dot. So how do you complete that sentence, Will? Suppo- okay, so I would assume this is Boba Fett talking to Din Djarin. I'll give you the baby back if complete the sentence. You remove your helmet and give me your armor. Ooh. So you're imagining a situation where Boba Fett no longer has the Mandalorian armor. But he he knows there's this dude walking around in a nice shiny new set, shiny new freshly Beskar minted set. Um, I'm gonna say, I'll give you the baby back if you be my best friend. Mm-hmm. And then Boba you Fett, hold my hand. hold my hand. Then and then Boba Fett and Din Djarin do that fucking handshake from the predator you know what i'm talking about carl we- it would be a perfect callback because carl weathers is in the show 
the forearm grip. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm going to say. I'm trying to think if I got any others. Do you have another one? Uh, no. Um, that's what I'm going to say then. If you be my best friend. Oh, dude, I can't believe I didn't bring this up earlier. Um, speaking of raccoons, you know what I watched last night that I had never what? seen? It's a movie I'd always wanted to see, just never got around to it. And it became hard. Like it was, I guess it just recently became available on um, digital. Is Pompoco? Pompoco by Studio Ghibli. Yeah. Um, really good. I really enjoyed it. Now, uh, there is something I did. It, it, this was something that's been more of a recent revelation to me, uh, partially because our buddy Raymond um, sort of clued me in on it too. But it was something that I sort of generally sort of became aware of. Those aren't technically raccoons in Pompoco. They call them... spirits. Well, no, they call them raccoons in the English dub, but they're actually tanukis, which are raccoon yeah. dogs. Tanukis. It's a completely different animal. Okay. Um. Uh. But yeah, in the, I guess in the English dub, they just decided to call them raccoons because I guess they just, you know, we don't have that animal over here, so I guess they just assumed it would be easier for us to grasp if they just called them raccoons. Maybe. But regardless, I found that movie pretty enjoyable, as I'm sure you can imagine. Their testicular shape-changing ability <clears throat> is wild. Absolutely incredible. That, that was another thing that I was not really aware of You weren't for prepared a while. for that? Well, I knew it was an element of the movie. That was the one thing I knew about the movie for a couple of years, you know, before finally seeing it, was that they... And that's probably my fault. That they used their their ball bags as like transformation devices, like they literally like turn it into a sail. Yeah, a stretch them carpet. out. Yeah, to stretch them out and turn them into like a parachute and shit. Yeah. Um. The whole story is about these tanuki who are trying to learn the powers of transformation so they can um, live amongst the humans, basically. Well, try to stop humans from destroying their forests right <clears throat> and by the way little side note for any of our listeners that watch animal crossing now this is directly from our buddy raymond he's the one who corrected me on this tom nook timmy nook and tommy nook not even raccoons they are tanuki that's cool so now i just have a whole nother breed of animal to be obsessed with raccoon dogs tanukis also, There's a demon parade in there, if I'm not mistaken, towards the end. Bro, that is a uh, that's a scene I'll revisit in a more elevated state at some point, I believe. Man, is it wild. Because demon parades are kind of like a thing. Like, I've picked them up. Not picked them up, but they've, they've happened several points in some Japanese media. So, like, I'm not sure what significance they hold, but, like... Demon parades have a significance. Yeah, because so I'm, it was that movie that's one of them that'll tip me off. Uh, in Palm Poco, it's it's all the raccoons getting together to do this crazy, 
demon parade to try and scare the the uh, residents of this city away right. so they'll stop you know encroaching on their forest and i don't know how long it actually is it felt like it went on from i don't know 15 or 20 minutes it's long and it is weird and trippy the animation yeah. is stellar kick ass but yeah it's a lot of imagery that i'm sure like to like Shinto and like in Japanese culture would be a lot more familiar to people. But to me, a lot of it was like, I don't, I don't even know what I'm seeing right now. It's like, you know, can you believe this is some shit? This is some real shit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was, uh, I have nothing to compare it to. Yeah. It's, have it's... you seen Porco Rosso? That's the one that's the pig. That's the, yeah, the fighter, pilot fighter pilot. And... pilot. Like yeah. World War One, I. I haven't seen. That's another one I haven't. It's seen. It's pretty good too. Yeah, like I said, it's it has been within the last year that I tried to buy Pom Poco digitally and it wasn't available. And then I checked yesterday and it was. And I know all the Ghibli or Ghibli, however you say it, movies are available on HBO Max. HBO but Max. I ain't getting that shit right now. Like, I'm like, shit, man. Another one? Another streaming service? Yeah, I just... Like, Pom Poco is something I definitely will watch again. So, I might as well just buy it. For By the way... I was way, thinking about was, buying The Record of Lotus War. Is that available? I haven't seen that in a long time. Who... Okay, so, you know, Steve and I uh, have been talking anime. He got me watching Hunter x Hunter or Hunter Hunter, however you say yeah. it, right? Yeah, I've seen it. And he was telling me, I don't know which streaming service it is. I think it might be Funimation has okay. all of Record of Lotus War on it. Oh, wow. So That, that would might, be cool. Yeah, They'd have all Dragon Ball, too. I think that one's out of print. I looked for it one time and couldn't find like reasonably priced copies of that one. So I don't know if it's super easy to get your hands on, at least over here. All right, we got one more. Sorry for that little aside, guys. Um, we got one more email for the evening, and this is from Ian. Hey, Blue Harvest. It's nice to know the status of upcoming Star Wars projects like Project Maverick, the 2022 Star Wars movie, the Kenobi series, Cassian series, the Rebels-related animated series, and so on. These are all cool. What I want to know is if you had to create all new Star Wars content for Lucasfilm, what time period would you choose? What kind of story would it be? A gangster film, a heist movie, etc., and why? This is something I've been thinking about for a little while now. I would like to create something that takes place either a couple hundred years before the High Republic or a couple hundred years after the rise of Skywalker. I want a whole new era that hasn't been explored in Star Wars material since 2012. As for the kind of story it would be, I think I'd go with a thriller-type Star Wars movie. Either something like the movie Moon or a political intrigue thriller like Parallax View, All the President's Men, House of Cards. I think this kind of story, because I, I choose this kind of story because I don't think we've gotten anything quite like those before, and have the setting take place in Star Wars universe would be super fucking cool, I think. Let me know your thoughts, and may the Force be with you, Ian. Thanks, Ian. Um, I think their idea about... Uh, 
like a, a thriller type movie, sort of almost yeah. like a Star Wars mystery. Um, yeah. I think that there's something cool that be, could be done with that concept. I was going to say, I was about to say, I agree with that. And you got to think, you know, there's definitely maybe some arcs in Clone Wars that came close or even nailed that, right? Like, to right. an extent, you could even say the arc where uh, Ahsoka gets framed uh, for murder and leaves the Jedi Temple um, or leaves the Jedi Order. That's uh, That's got a pretty strong thriller element to it, you know? Right. There's also that... Have you seen the the arc where Obi Wan goes uh, undercover on the mission and they do the fucked up uh, procedure to his face to change his looks? No, I have not. <laughs> That's a pretty good arc. Um, what would you do, Will? Oh man, I don't know. Give me some help. See, for me, and, and I feel like a bit of a broken record with this because it's always what I go back to, but I just like the Knights of the Old Republic era and the Tales of the Jedi era st- so much that I think that's just what I'm naturally drawn to. And part of what I think I like about that concept is you could veer more to the side of fantasy in the sci-fi you know science fantasy world of star wars the further you go back in the timeline to me that makes the most sense you know that's honestly what i'm looking forward to like i'm looking forward to almost the the ryan johnson trilogy aspect of you know completely removed from these time periods or yeah or even before the High Republic, you know what I'm talking about, like right, right, kind of like you maybe was before Jedi are everywhere. Like there are there are many, but there aren't thousands. You know what I mean? Like yeah, and like I don't know. To me, I and I'll, I say this, and then you know, eventually, if they do something like this, we'll see how I feel about it. But I don't know that I ever want like an actual origin of the force or origin of the Mm -hmm. Jedi type movie. Like it's one of those things that may be better left unexplored. So it can be sort of nebulous and mysterious. You always have some prior previous history that's been going on. Right. Right. I don't want to know its origins, but I like, I like the idea of seeing how different versions of the Jedi interact with it and interpret it yeah try to try to deal with it and I know Dark Horse did uh like their Dawn of the Jedi series back in the day and it was okay like I don't remember disliking it but you know to me like sort of the tales of the Jedi era where you're still talking early Jedi order but it feels way different right and like you said there's way less of them and and things like that, that's sort of more the sweet spot for me. And and obviously part of it is because I like that that comic series so much. Right. That's you know, the Tales of the Jedi. That's what I'm thinking about. Like like ancient, archaic yeah. Jedi. Yeah. <clears throat> um the, you know, I think there's a lot 
that you could do there that's cool. And I'm not even looking for them to just adapt those comics. Like, I'm totally fine with them. Something totally fresh. Yeah, wiping the slate clean and and putting something new in that sort of era of Star Wars history. Um, and just make it weird. Like, ship designs are weird. The technology feels, you know, appropriately older. Right. So, I don't know. I think there's just a lot of cool shit that they could do with that idea. Well, I think that does it for us this week, buddy. Thanks for recording with me. Oh, dude, thanks for having me on. Um, once again, check out Kessel Run Transmissions on YouTube this weekend for the charity stream. I will be on there uh, at some point, uh, making an appearance, helping out. Um, if you haven't already, leave us a five-star iTunes review. We're like four away from 200 now. We're so oh, close, wow. guys. We're, we're right on the cusp. Uh, and if you like our theme song, please be sure to check out the band that was kind enough to provide the music. They're Stoned Cobra, and you can find them on iTunes, on Spotify, and at stonedcobra.bandcamp.com. Uh, and until next week, uh, this has been Blue Harvest. I'm Halls Burkhart. And I'm Will Witten. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with all of you. May the Force be with us.